Let's dive into today's message. I want you to take your Bibles or your apps, and today we're going to be in two different passages. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 and Luke chapter 6. Now, if you're not sure where Matthew and Luke are are found in the Bible, let me give you some direction here. Uh, If you're in a physical Bible, you'll find that Matthew and Luke are both in the New Testament. So open to the table of contents, New Testament, you'll find it, it'll be a, a, a big section. Matthew is the first book and Luke is the third book in the New Testament. So find those two books, Matthew chapter 5, Luke chapter 6. Now, if you're in an app, just pull down the list of the books of the Bible and you'll find that Matthew and Luke is somewhere around the two-thirds way down that list. Uh, So again, Matthew 5 and Luke chapter 6. Now, I have to tell you that I have been so blessed as a person. I've had my ups and downs. I've gone through difficulties and I've gone through wonderful times of of blessings, physically, spiritually, uh, financially, the whole nine yards. And I can tell you right now that I've, I've never experienced true poverty. I've always had food on the table. My parents were always able to provide for me. I always had clothes on my back. I never I uh, had to suffer from hunger, true hunger. Never, never had to, to deal with not being able to, to have my basic needs met. But there are people all over the world who experience poverty on a daily basis. And I think because I've never experienced true poverty, I'll be honest, I struggle to understand what that must be like. I've traveled abroad, I've gone on mission trips, and I've worked with people who are in true poverty, and I've seen their living conditions. I've, I've seen, uh, seen hands-on what that looks like, but I've never personally experienced it. And today, Jesus speaks to us about poverty in the Beatitudes. Now, we're, we're in this brand new series on the Beatitudes. We started it last week. I would encourage you, if you haven't watched last week's message, please go back uh, to our YouTube page uh, or our website, the mass- messages tab uh, on our website. Go back and watch last week's message. It is kind of builds the foundation for what we're going to be studying for the next few weeks in Matthew chapter 5 with the Beatitudes. Uh, but I want you to take your Bibles now and look with me. We're going to read the Beatitudes found in Matthew Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 3. So again, Jesus is uh, out with his disciples. A, a large crowd has gathered around him. He goes up on the edge of this mountain and he begins to teach. And what follows in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7 is what's commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount. It's one of his most famous sermons, most famous messages. And he begins that message the Sermon on the Mount, with what we commonly call the Beatitudes. Uh, And it's a series of statements that all begin with blessed are. And so let's read through these again. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 3. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. 
Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For so they persecuted also the prophets who were before you. Now today we're going to focus on the first of these beatitude, blessed are statements. And that's in verse three. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now uh, let's unpack this idea of poor in spirit. Uh, What does he mean by being poor in spirit? Well, it comes down to what does he mean by poor? What does it mean to be poor? Now, in this passage, this passage was originally written in the Greek language. And in the, this version of Greek, what we call Koine Greek, it's an ancient form of the Greek language, <clears throat> there are two words for someone who is poor or of low socioeconomic status. The first word uh, kind of indicates like a struggle to meet one's needs day in and day out. But then the word used in this passage in Matthew 5 is a word that refers to uh, a deep poverty, the the very poorest, the beggar uh, on the streets, uh, someone who uh, absolutely has almost nothing and is completely dependent on others for support, for for their basic needs. Uh, So Billy Graham makes a comment about the the, uh, poor in spirit. Uh, He was asked one time what he thought Jesus meant in Matthew 5, 3 by blessed are the poor in spirit. And this is what he said. He says, what did he mean? Simply this, we must be humble in our spirits. If you put the word humble in place of the word poor, you will understand what he meant. In other words, when we come to God, we must realize our own sin and our spiritual emptiness and poverty. We must not be self-satisfied or proud in our hearts, thinking we don't really need God. If we are, God cannot bless us. Now, he's unpacking this idea. Billy Graham is unpacking this idea that to be poor in spirit is to truly embrace, to, to think, to, to, to be motivated by true humility. That, that idea that you are completely dependent on God. Humility is kind of an idea of recognizing your place in the world, recognizing that you don't have it all. You don't have it all figured out. You can't be self-sufficient. You can't be self-dependent. You must be dependent on God. You must recognize that God is first, others come second, and you come in a very distant third. That the call of the follower of Jesus is to place God above all things and recognize that you have nothing outside of God, that you are completely dependent on Him. And in that understanding who you are in light of God, you also recognize that others come before yourself. Uh, You know, Jesus famously in Matthew 22 was asked what the greatest commandments are. And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands, all of scripture hang. The basic idea being is that humility is recognizing that God and others come before us. 
We live completely selfless. We live completely dependent. And so that's what humility is. Now, now, poor in spirit is not saying that we should live in self-pity or misery. It's recognizing our own helplessness and desperate dependence on Jesus. Now, of course, this is a common theme actually throughout scriptures. Uh, being poor in spirit is something that's mentioned throughout the Old and New Testament. So let me give you some examples. Isaiah chapter 66 verse 2 uh, says this, or verses 1 and 2. So Isaiah 66, 1 and 2 says, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is my place of rest? All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. Now catch what he says here, the end of verse 2. But this is the one whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Listen to that again. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. To be humble, to be contrite, recognizing that you are dependent on God and you're nobody compared to God. Recognizing that God and his word dictate your entire life. Then Psalm 51 verse 17 or verses 15, 16 and 17 says this. O Lord, Open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. For the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And so the writer of Psalm 51 recognizes that that all the sacrifices in the world don't mean anything. What God truly wants is our humble, our contrite hearts. As I mentioned last week, our thoughts, our attitudes, and our motives focused and dependent on God. Uh, Lastly, Luke 18, verses 10 through 14, Jesus gives us a parable and he says this, two men went into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed like this, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. Verse 13, but the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven. But instead, he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, This man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You see, to be poor in spirit is to be humble before the Lord, to recognize who you truly are in light of who God truly is. Let's be honest for a minute. It's not easy to say because it kind of goes against our egos uh, and our our self-esteem and our confidence. But guys, let's be honest for a second. We are nothing without Jesus. We are dead in our sins. 
We are hopelessly lost. We are slaves to our sins. There's nothing good about us. Romans 3 confirms that. The fact of the matter is, is we need God for everything. Everything physically, everything mentally and emotionally, everything spiritually comes from God. And so being poor in spirit recognizes that we are nothing and God is everything. We need him for everything. So that's the first aspect of this, but there's a twist to this particular beatitude and many of the others. We'll look at those when we get to those in the coming weeks. But there's actually a double meaning that Jesus gives to this particular beatitude. I want you to look now in, in Luke chapter six. So go from Matthew five, go forward uh, two more books. You're, you're in Matthew, you'll go all the way through Mark and then you'll hit Luke. Luke chapter six, Luke records the Beatitudes also. Uh, now Luke's version of the Beatitudes are shorter. They're not as extensive as Matthew's. Uh, and there's a couple of shifts in the phrasing. And now obviously Jesus had explained this to his disciples and elaborated. Hey, he probably taught on these things multiple times. Uh, and so Luke gives uh, another rendition of what we commonly call the Beatitudes, probably a rendition of the Beatitudes that Jesus gave at another time. Uh, so Luke chapter six, we're gonna start in verse 20. Luke six twenty. he says this, and Jesus lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you'll be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when you and, ex and they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven." So their, for so their fathers also did to the prophets. Verse 24, but woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. The fact of the matter here is, Jesus gave multiple versions of the Beatitudes and in the version that Luke records, he doesn't say blessed are the poor in spirit. He simply says, blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God. And then he gives a, a contrasting statement later in verse 24. Woe to you who are rich for you have already received your consolation. You see, there's not just a lesson about spiritual humility in this beatitude. There's also a lesson about spirit or uh, physical, financial poverty here. You see, Jesus is teaching both a spiritual aspect and a physical financial aspect. And there's something that must be said here. You know, I, I, I don't like to talk about money because I know it upsets people. But quite frankly, Jesus talked about it, so we must talk about it. There's something that must be said about the warnings that the Bible gives against wealth and placing confidence in wealth. Uh, let me give you a few examples of, of other scriptures, other passages in the New Testament that, that speaks about this. James chapter two, verse five says this. 
Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? James makes the argument here that those who are poor financially or physically are rich in faith, and theirs is the kingdom of heaven, which we're going to get to because that's the promise that Jesus gives in the Beatitudes. But there's a warning here. It's the poor in the world that are rich in faith. There's something about understanding need that helps us spiritually, that helps us in our faith. Now, again, let me just say this before I go any further. Do not misunderstand me and do not miss this point. There's nothing wrong with wealth. There's nothing wrong with financial stability. But there is a clear warning that's given repeatedly through Scripture that financial stability and wealth can be a great temptation that can take our trust away from Jesus and place it in that financial stability or wealth. You know, when we've got a healthy checkbook and retirement account and investment accounts, etc., when we have all those things, it's harder to understand our need for Jesus. It's harder to understand why we would need Jesus when we've got all of our needs met. And so there is warning repeatedly given that we have to be careful about placing our trust in wealth. And when we have wealth, to not let that wealth attract or, or keep uh, faith in it. It's one of those things that, that we can begin to be dependent on our wealth and our finances rather than dependent on Jesus. Uh, there's an account where this wealthy young man comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus says, follow all these 10 commandments. And the, the young wealthy man goes, I've followed all of these since childhood. And then Jesus looks at him and says, great. Now go sell all of your possessions. Give, your, give the money to the poor and follow me. And the young man walked away sad, his head low, because he couldn't do it because he loved his wealth. He, he had more dependence and he had placed so much faith on his wealth that he just couldn't give it up for Jesus. And that's something that we should take very seriously. Matthew chapter 19, uh, verses 23 and 24 says this, and Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, now let me dismiss a, a myth that I have heard repeatedly in the church. There's a, there's a myth out there that Jesus' reference to the eye of the needle was referring to a, a specific tunnel that was nicknamed the eye of the needle, that there was a tunnel that you, you would go through in the land of Israel, and it was a small tunnel, but it was big enough you could force a camel through, but it would be very difficult. Uh, there's this rumor that there was a tunnel in Israel named this, and that's what Jesus was referring to. Let me just very clearly state right out the gate, right now, there is no evidence of any such tunnel in the land of Israel. There is no reference anywhere in history. There's no knowledge from the Israelite people of a tunnel anywhere in Israel called the eye of the needle. It does not, does not exist. It's been made up by some 
pastor wanting to make wealthy people feel better about themselves. Please hear me. Jesus is making an extreme illustration to get our attention. This is called a hyperbole. Uh, Jesus is using a hyperbole to, to get our attention on something that he wants us to listen to. He's using this extreme example to help us understand that our wealth can draw us away from what God wants for our lives. So this particular beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, has a double meaning. Poor in spirit and poor, just like Luke chapter 6 shows us. Notice the contrast again in Luke 6. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. That's Luke 6, verse 20. But then in verse 24, he says, But woe to you who are rich, for you've already received your consolation. We must be cautious about our financial stability and wealth. We can never place too much trust in it or hoard it, uh, keep it to ourselves. The, that, that financial stability, that wealth has been given to you by God to use for his kingdom work. And you cannot place your trust. You cannot be dependent on those finances. You don't take them to heaven with you. You don't get to, to, to take any of that wealth with you. And yes, uh, there's something to be said for financially preparing and taking care of your kids. I get that part. Don't misunderstand me. Just don't let the, that, those finances, that wealth, that financial stability, do not let that pull you away, draw you away from what God wants you to do. That is the caution that is repeatedly given throughout the New Testament. And if you are somebody who is financially stable or, or has an abundance of money, there's nothing wrong with that, but you must wrestle with God's word and what it warns you about. So please don't dismiss what Jesus is saying here in these Beatitudes. So what does all of this mean? I told you that there is a double meaning here with what Jesus is teaching. And, and I've unpacked that. I hopeful, hopefully unpacked it very clearly for you. But let me give you my big idea here. I want you to fully understand and walk away with what Jesus means by being poor in spirit. So here's today's big idea. The main point that I want you to remember this week and think on. The big idea is this. We must be deliberate in our desperate dependence on Jesus. A lot of D's in there alliteration. We must be deliberate in our desperate dependence on Jesus. You see, whether it be humility, whether it be finances, we must be deliberately and desperately dependent on him. We must recognize that all of our blessings come from Jesus. If you have finances, great, but you must recognize that that is a blessing from him. We must be deliberately and desperately dependent on him. You see, we are empty, we are helpless, and we are dependent on God. We don't have any means outside of ourselves or outside of God to do any of the things that we could call ourselves blessed in. We cannot trust in our own talents, our skills, uh, our intellect. We can't depend on our checkbooks or, or, or our resources. We must trust God alone. And in that trust, 
We must use all that he's given us, our, our, our lives, uh, our blessings, our finances, our resources, our relationships, everything we give to him. Everything belongs to him. So I want you to notice something here, though. We, we haven't fully unpacked this beatitude. We've talked about what it means to be poor in spirit, but there's a concluding promise to that beatitude. Matthew 5, 3, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In Luke 6, it's for theirs is the kingdom of God. It's, it's uh, the same thing. It's a synonym. So what is this promise? That theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, the hearers of Jesus, the people listening to what Jesus was saying, would have been very familiar already with this, this phrase, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, because they would have been hearing it from John the Baptist for the, the years uh, leading up to Jesus's ministry. You see, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God it is a, a kingdom uh, of God's establishment, and it is both a current reality of our citizenship and an anticipated promise of restoration, of future restoration. You see, the kingdom of heaven is a both-and scenario. It is both what God is doing now in our lives on this earth, in this existence, and it is also the kingdom that we will inherit in the future as the followers of Jesus. It's recognizing that no matter what your current state is, whether you think you're blessed or not, whether you're financially stable or not, whether you are healthy or whatever, no, no matter what your current state, you are a citizen of God's kingdom. You see, you can be a citizen of the United States of America, and that's great. You can be the citizen of another country, uh, you, you can be citizens, but ultimately your true citizenship, if you are a follower of Jesus, your true citizenship is to God's kingdom, an eternal one. As much as I love the United States of America, there's going to come a point where this country does not exist. Whether it happens through some kind of government upheaval or, or attack or whatever, or if it comes about because Jesus comes again and everything on earth ceases, one way or the other, the United States is not eternal, but God's kingdom is. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you are a citizen of that kingdom. You receive the promises of that kingdom, the support through the Holy Spirit of that kingdom, and you live your life knowing that the kingdom of God is the true reality. It's the true kingdom. It's your first priority as a, as a citizen. And so the fact is, is you belong to his kingdom. And let me just say very quickly, maybe you're listening and maybe you've never come to a place where you've believed in Jesus. But Maybe the idea of having something certain, being a citizen of an eternal kingdom, maybe, maybe that's sparked your curiosity or maybe you want to know more. Uh, let me just say, Jesus loves you. Uh, Jesus died for you to save you from uh, what your sins ha have, uh, have led you to, an eternal consequence from sin. You see, without Jesus... 
Our destination is eternal punishment. But Jesus died on a cross and rose from a grave so that you could be rescued from the consequences of your sin. And instead, you could be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And if you want to know more, if you want to know more about Jesus or the kingdom of heaven or or what all this means, please reach out to us. Uh, There's a link in the post of this video down at the very bottom. It it takes you to the contact us page of our website. I want you to go there. Go to the contact us page on our website and fill out that form. We'll reach out to you and we would love to answer any questions that you may have about Jesus and following him. Uh, But please reach out to us. We would love to talk to you and answer any questions, uh, give you any guidance that you might need in what it looks like to begin a journey with Jesus. But going back to something I mentioned earlier, there's this parable in Luke 18 where Jesus talks about this Pharisee and tax collector and how they prayed and how the tax collector in his humility was the one who went home justified before God. Uh, Let me ask you this question in closing. Many of you watching or listening have probably never experienced true poverty. Many of you have, and so you've got a reference point to what Jesus is talking about here in Matthew 5.3. But if you were to look at the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector and how they approached God through prayer, who are you more like? Are you more like the Pharisee who's kind of confident and, uh, and self-assured? Or are you more like the tax collector who's poor in spirit, humble before God, recognizing that he's nobody in light of God's greatness and recognizing that he needs to be deliberately and desperately dependent on Jesus and who he is? So which one are you? Where is your dependency? Where's your humility? And how is that lived lived out in your daily life? How does that affect the way you interact with others? Let's go to the Lord now. Let's ask him to reveal to us what true humility means for us and how it should impact our lives and affect the way that we live. So join me now as we go to the Lord in prayer. Almighty God, we thank you so much for today. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to understand what you mean by being poor in spirit. Help us to understand what it means to be desperately dependent on you. Lord, help us to be like the tax collector in the parable who who comes before you humble. Lord, we also recognize that there's a double meaning to today's Uh, to today's beatitude, that there's a meaning that uh, is both spiritual, but is also physical and financial. Lord, we pray that you'd help us to understand what you're calling us to do with the financial stability or the wealth that we may have. Lord, help us to use the resources that you've blessed us with, whether uh, it be mental or physical or financial, whatever resources you've given us, whatever talents you've given us, we pray that we would use them for you. So we thank you, Lord. Help us to live humbly. Help us to live poor in spirit. And help us to recognize that everyone around us is just like us, poor in spirit, desperately dependent on you. 
We thank you, Lord. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.